0: Well, welcome to some Derp's Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I
1: am your co-host, Buddy.
0: And today we're going to talk a little bit about getting into tabletop games. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you show the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast.
1: Well, it's pretty simple. Uh, We like to talk about games. And this episode is going to be, boy, is it going to be like a very beginner's episode. This is actually requested by a fan of the show, by our... Sister podcast? I don't know I don't what to call that. Our brother At least cousins, kid, kissing cousins. What maybe? are what are what are podcasts gendered? Anyway, um, <clears throat> uh, to do intro to RPGs, right? Like intro to Pathfinder, intro to what an RPG is, and how do you get somebody who's never played an RPG before kind of uh, into it so that it so that it sort of makes sense. Um, this is actually a topic that I'm surprised we haven't covered before. I have a lot of strategies for this Um, because I've done it a lot over my lifetime. I've probably introduced, like, I've introduced a lot of my friends, uh, like, friends like Warren and stuff, who are now playing um, inside and outside of my own games, to RPGs before. Um, So, I have a lot of different strategies, I guess.
0: Yeah, similarly, I haven't done as much as you have, Um, but I've also kind of been uh, the second guy for a couple of games, right? Like, it's like, the GM and I are the people who know what we're doing and everybody else is new, and I think... I actually think that that's kind of... Uh, to kind of start things off is, is actually a really good strategy. If you are a GM trying to introduce new people to the game, I think we're going to attack this from a couple different angles, but I think one of those strategies is definitely if you've got somebody uh, with you that generally knows the rules, that can help a lot. It can help, like, for instance, uh, one of the biggest things that helped out for uh, this 5e game that I'm playing was that when we were building characters... Um, even though I wasn't a 5e expert by any reason, I had the books and I could, and I knew the process. And so there were, there were two of us that were able to, to help, um, the other three, three or four party members build characters as opposed to, um, one person having to do it themselves. And I've also find that, um, in the course of play, having somebody else that generally knows what they're doing and can kind of like spot check for you, um, is is uh relevant like um in in my uh wrath game uh, which is which is basically dead at this point but that's besides the point um uh, even though i didn't have anybody who was like a super expert charles mostly filled in that role um and he was also in a position where i was like i'm not quite sure and charles would like flip around in his chair and check on his computer um while i was still jamming the game and that was that was super helpful so i think having someone who either has knowledge in their head or has like easily indexable way to look into it is, is super helpful for 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 uh Getting new people into the game. What, what yeah, do
1: you think? Yeah. So the uh, so the very basic process of getting somebody into D and D. This happens a lot of times. Like I'll be like at work or something and explaining stuff, and then some of my friends at work will be like, "Oh, like you know, I, I've oh, I've heard about Dungeons and Dragons, but I don't know like what it like what it is. What do you mean by RPG, right? Because RPG has obviously been lifted into kind of like the video game era and terminology." And and then what I do is I just like I essentially just like run like a five minute game for them just to help them understand. Where I'll be like, okay, you walk into a bar, uh, and there's a a big dwarf in plate mail, right with like a with like a bloody. Great axe on his back, and then there's an elven ranger, and he's got red hair and, like, green leathers and a nice, elegant bow, and he's drinking, you know, wine at the bar, and there's a human woman, and she's in a beautiful red dress, and she's sitting down talking to some people who you might think are a little bit shady, right? What do you do, right? And then they and then they kind of go like, "What? What do you mean?" I'd be like, you, "You walk into that bar, or your character walks into that bar. What do you do?" And then they go, and then they and then they start like interacting with things. And then I typically introduce coin flips, like, "Okay, heads is good, tails is bad. Flip a coin." And then to try to kind of like go to like the randomization aspect, because I don't fucking, I don't care like dice on me. Like I wish I could do this oh, with dice. What a poster. But it's a very like, but it's a very like bare bones basic way to explain what d and d is and also I think the appeal of d and d because I always feel like people get into that in a way that is like that shows oh wow now I understand why this would be fun. do you know what I mean because that that idea of being able to like walk into someplace and uh, are and, and start interacting with the world right is like I, I think there is really something like tangibly attractive about that.
0: Yeah no that's 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 super that's, that's super interesting. Um, cause I, I, definitely feel that I, I, um, I, I totally get that. I usually, the, the way it's worked for me and the way it, I've, I found it has worked well for other people that I've interacted with, is something similar. It's not quite as unstructured as that. It's like you pitch. So most of the people I have talked to have been people who have some concept of what it, what it is. Um, like maybe they've watched, uh, an episode or, or two or, or followers of, um, a critical role, or they um, just kind of know about it in popular culture. Maybe they did it like a number of years ago um, and they've forgotten everything, right? Like, did it when they were kids and their, their father was a gym or something. Um, and so I've never, I don't think I had to pitch it to them at, at that level. Um, but I think what this kind of speaks to is this kind of thing where, like, um, uh, the, the thing that has worked really well for me is doing a, a shorter adventure before, like, the real campaign starts. Um, and in fact, I'm going to, I'm going to, something from, from something that, uh, that again, with this 5e game that, that Chris did, is he had us all play a 5e game with, with pre gen characters um, just to kind of get into it and then let us decide whether or not to carry those characters forward or remake or do custom characters um, in a full-scale campaign. And I think that that's uh, really pretty pretty uh, a pretty good way of introing. It's also, I think, a great way, if you're new to GMing, to kind of feel that out is just run a, a, a pre, pre-done one-shot adventure Um, where you don't have to worry too much about screwing up too much
1: yeah yeah i i find that people do like to generate their own characters um and that pre-gens are not super attractive uh for people in their first game um but i also think that it can be tough especially with pathfinder right like it was a lot easier because i i you know like i've also run a lot of um, 4e games, like it was a lot easier with forty to get new characters into to like onboard them into it, just because like, boy, is Pathfinder just like oppressively complicated sometimes.
0: Yeah, I I think I think that's actually part of it, and I I think there are, there are levels to this too, right? Like when I say it, like I think a pre generated character as long as you have them in the archetypes, and if if you know it's for a one shot, right, like a three or four hour game, like like a con game, right, like what we do at Gen Con, yeah, yeah, I think it works better. I also think that like part of what you want to do is you build the skeleton of the character and maybe put a couple of hints in it, but you don't do a lot of um, kind of deeper uh like personality things, right? Because the thing that people are going to naturally latch onto and build onto, I think, the most are are the personality aspects, and the, the crunch is kind of the the harder way to get into that. Um, and if you're playing a a, a game with lot of new characters it doesn't matter if the character is optimized so much right like it's not like you're going to be falling behind your your fellow players so like you say all right this is like you do a couple stereotypes right this is a a a a human fighter and an elf ranger and like a maybe like a, a a dwarf cleric and a human wizard right that way you have two in there and two humans in there and i would say do something like leave, leave the gender name and backstory all kind of unfilled or maybe with like some suggestions in there that way. Um, that way the, the player can really kind of grab onto what makes role playing so special, which is, which is the, the personalization of the character and the ability to kind of, um, express yourself through the character. Um, and kind of do the crunch for them. Because the crunch is, is very valuable and very fun, and I, I definitely think that a lot of people are, are drawn because of that aspect. But the thing that makes an RPG better than a video game, I think, in that way, is the ability to kind of be the character you want to be. So giving them that freedom while helping them along with the character generation. I think from there, what you want to do is you want to have people um, build out uh, their characters from there. Uh, like, like for, their, for the session, ask them if they want to build a character, if they want to keep their character give them the chance to re- rebuild it, maybe... Um, and I would suggest on that on that front as well is to keep them to the core rulebook at least for those first couple of levels before letting them branch out. Um, like uh, you can build very effective characters with just the core rulebook stuff. And with five E, there's not a lot that you can go beyond that. Um, and mm. then once they get into higher levels, you can you would start opening up other material. I don't think it limits character
1: creation so much. Interesting. Now, I I I definitely feel that, and it's and it's something that um, that it's a lot easier to do with the books than with the like the SRD, and I think that's something that maybe we've made mistakes about doing in the past. Like I kind of wonder, I don't quite remember how we got Jimmy Kirsch into things because I obviously know that Rune Lords was his first game, but I sort of have a feeling that we were just kind of like everything, just go to the fucking SRD and figure it out or whatever. Well, well um, part, but having
0: part of, part of that was that Mark was so uh, homebrew heavy. That he had a lot that he had to work with the just Mark's documents. Oh,
1: yeah, that's so true. Yeah. Because I had to deprogram a lot of, like, bad, well, I'm sorry, a lot of, uh, different changes. Right. Yeah, you know, like, I don't, I don't,
0: like, honestly, I don't think Mark's systems are bad, but Jimmy did learn a different version of the game, which is something mm-hmm. I think I'd recommend against generally, but I think maybe we should ask Jimmy's opinion on that at some point.
1: Yeah. No, that's fair. That is real. Um, yeah, I, I I mean obviously I like to homebrew uh, I like to homebrew as well but I do think that it is tough to do homebrews right off the bat though it's also a little bit easy to a certain extent because you can just kind of Mark's homebrews typically have a version of complexity like they complicate things further um, whereas I think you can make homebrew that that decomplicates things you can't buy wands of cure light wounds right um, that are fairly unobtrusive. Do you know what I mean? If you're a new player, you don't know about cure light Wound spam. Yeah, you, you'll get upset place, so. by any of these rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, but like, Mark's fix to cure light Wound spam is to like introduce it to, is to introduce some new system, right? That prevents abuse in some way or whatever it is. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, and and you know, while that is a, a higher burden, I will say that. Um, kind of as evidenced by how he went into Hell's Rebels is those become the core systems for him. And he because he never had to unlearn the regular system, it kind of, I think, slotted in a little bit differently. Again, I think we should ask him about that at some point. But I think there, I would still say for, if you are planning on getting into RPGs as like a wider hobby, you probably just want to do the basic stuff. Um, like it, like in the minimalist stuff, that way you you uh, you can play at other tables without being like, wait, I thought that, that armor was DR, not armor class which is a a published alternate that's not a mark rule but that's like a published alternate rule um or that's partially a mark rule mark has weird armor rules but um um but yeah like i i think that for getting into stuff and for that same reason i think for getting into tabletop games i think you want to pick one of dungeons and dragons or uh or pathfinder um i think you can make exceptions for that for things like if you're really just into like sci-fi stuff or whatever like some uh a uh, Catholic mystery. I I will say that my 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 foray into it wasn't that it was it was Warhammer Fantasy, as we've talked about, um, kind of uh, probably ad nauseum at this point. Was was your game with 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 that? Um, but I had read the Dungeons and Dragons book books before that. and I think that just kind of having that under your belt, kind of like like it's kind of like in order to like it, it's Dungeons and Dragons is from which all other RPGs have sprung. And understanding that a little bit, I think, kind
1: of informs the
0: rest of the space. Does that
1: make sense? Yeah. Yeah, no, that definitely does make sense. Um, Which is why I always start by walking into a tavern. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And very, like, archetypal things, right? Like, I don't want somebody to see, you know, you don't want to show somebody, like, a dwarf druid, right? Because like that's not that's not like that's not something that they have in their brain, but a dwarf warrior who is head to toe in plate, they do have that in their brain, and you wanna and you want them to kind of like fill in some of these blanks, because that's kind of how you build out the like the kind of imagination of the system, if that makes sense. Yeah,
0: there's like uh, actually Angry Jim recently posted an article about setting, um, where he's kind of like settings are are really a lot of like. Um, you know, the stereotype with exceptions, um, I yeah. think that applies for like introducing somebody to, to a, a game of themselves. You want this to be like, this is basically like, um, high fantasy with like, you, this is basically your, your standard high fantasy. You want to do it in kind of either like a Faerun or a Galarian, like, or, you know, like Verissia. I guess it's kind of your, 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 your stock standard thing. Um, you say and this is how this works I um, and not not that, that prevents you from from doing something a little bit different if that's what the campaign is right part of this is like is a GM you might not want to run a stock standard adventure um, but I think doing it that way kind of helps um, kind of usher people in right um, uh, especially if especially with like I think you want to do like set some of these expectations and tones uh, right mm. like um Like, uh, like, Lord of the Rings is a relatively low magic setting, which is not actually really very compatible with, not compatible, but it's different than D&D, um, and Pathfinder, and I, and I think that, um, kind of introducing the fact that it's gonna be kind of a little bit more high fantasy, a little bit more sorcery, and that swords and sorcery combo is important, uh, for letting people know, and, uh, yeah, um, yeah, I I am wondering how how you would do this from the player side though cuz you know like like I like I said my first game was with you which was Warhammer which is a relatively low magic setting. Um but like I I cut my desi- like my desire to play these games came because I read like some of those uh, Drizzt Doerden books uh, by R.A. Salvatore. Um and uh, just kind of having that expect like I I think a lot of for a lot of people nowadays like their their point of reference is going to be something like Harry Potter. Um, if that makes sense. And so, um, I think, like, showing them that expectation is is kind of
1: correct, maybe, is, is the right way to go. What do you think? Um, I think there are, um, I think that, the, I, 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 I haven't found it hard to introduce people to RPGs based on the setting, necessarily. That's fair. Um, I've gotten people into Dungeons & Dragons, or I've, I've gotten people into RPGs through Star Wars, Dungeons and Dragons, Pathfinder and Warhammer Fantasy. And obviously those are all fantasy and sci-fi. Oh god, also the Last is in Underworld which are two the, the these are the like the small town boutique games that got started in my hometown um, that I've mentioned a couple of times before. Underworld being kind of like a you know the the under in the in the subway tunnels and sewers underneath New York City there's actually like a big magic world or whatever and the last exodus basically starting from the premise what if every myth and legend and you know religion was real how you know like what would that what would that kind of like be like Um. and so I don't think that I feel like setting is a tough thing to get people into um, when it comes to RPGs, I wa- I, I, I'm sure there is some kind of marginal, like, if you are a huge Tolkien fan, I'm sure it's easier to onboard you through, you know, whatever, the high fantasy version of things, right, because you are geared for the fantasy side. And if you're a Star Trek fan, it's easier to go Star Wars, right? um but at the end of the day i find that uh, i find that the system and just kind of like the the novelty of being able to interact with especially in a video game world right we grew up in a video game world and most people have some basis of like video game in their kind of like dna of of, of their upbringing right so being able to tell them you know Hey, you know, all those invisible walls, you know, all those NPCs that never change their, like, their voice options, you know, like, all of those, like, quests or whatever that that you take you away from your character and put you into a cutscene, I can fix those problems, quote-unquote, for you when you play this game. And I think that that's a really core appeal to people. Um, and so... Like I like I kind of understand it. And I think to a certain extent some of the really out there systems like Shadowrun. Shadowrun is a really kind of out there setting I feel like. Also Call of the Cthu- uh, Call of Cthulhu that I did or I'm sorry, Cthulhu Tech that I did it in Gen Con is a pretty out there system. Um, but otherwise, you know, I had a I had a very easy time bringing people on board to play RPGs through the novelty of that kind of like whatever it is. It's your it's your playground. Go nuts.
0: Um, yeah, no, I, I guess that's fair. Right? Like, I, I can see a, a strong case for, like, using something like 7th C, which is, you know, like, a historical pastiche with yeah, flight yeah. magic settings. I, I think that could work, too. Um,
1: I also think, to a certain extent, by the way, um, that uh, the... I don't know. I don't, I don't quite know how to, like, phrase or, like, feel this thought out. Yeah. Um, but I think, to a certain extent, when it comes to stuff like Pathfinder, um, where you have so many different kind of, like, sub-settings inside of the big setting, you have a lot of choices when it when it comes to that sort of thing, right? Like, hypothetically speaking, it's probably harder to start a game in, you know, I don't know, Rahadu, maybe, than it is to start a game in Varisia, right? Most right, or
0: what what was the area that 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 uh, fucking iron gods was in? Uh Oh yeah, Numeria. Yeah, Numeria, right? right? Like you, you know,
1: like so there so there is a certain kind of like inside of the universe itself onboarding, right? Um you know, are you going to start are you going to start your Star Wars game on Tatooine where which everybody has a really good sense for or Coruscant which everybody has a good sense for or, you know, Danok 3, your custom planet that is where everybody has to wear big giant gas masks because it's like a sulfur oxide planet or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Um, I think that that also kind of affects things.
0: I, I think the point maybe that I, w- I was driving it a little bit more, and, and this is a thing that you should do re- regardless of whether they're players in you or not, is talk to your players about what their expectations are, right? Like if someone comes to you and is like, I would like to try this Dungeons and Dragons thing that everybody is on about being like, okay, cool, you can come join my uh, my fucking Rogue Trader game, right? Like that's probably gonna miss like mismatch expectations, um, and you know you can do things. You'd be like, so I'm not running a, a Dungeons and Dragons game right now, but um, I'm w- running this weird space marine type game where you play a trader in the Imperium of Man, and it's terrible. Uh, you should come play. Like you can get more play out of that. Um, I I think that's fine. I think that, again, I think that's true for every player, but just kind of. I don't, I don't think you want to be in a situation where somebody says, I want to play Dun- Dungeons and Dragons, and they come to the table ready to play, like, a wizard, and you're suddenly not capable of doing that for whatever reason. Um, uh, and I think, again, that goes true for for everything. But, um, again, too, that's also, like, a, a level of, like, what do you as a DM want to do as well? Um, uh, but, but I think so far a lot of our advice has been kind of, like, Two gms to get people into the game do you have any specific advice for players because oh sure i have should... one more
1: piece of advice for oh, gms go, yeah, that i want to it. talk about which is i don't like preset stories i think that's bad i think that that um i think the first session should be run very improv uh comparatively because i think you want players to kind of interest themselves i've run in a couple of games um where I've been an experienced player, but like I, there have been a couple of new players where you are pre-built a narrative where it's like you ha- you accepted a contract off-screen about you know tracking down these rebels or like the first five minutes of the campaign is you in the office of the guy who gives you the contract that you can't say no to. Um, that runs very counter in my philosophy to that you know explore the world kind of onboarding that i that i've been talking about before and and i understand there's some trade-offs right uh, the big one being time exploring the world takes time and having players opt into their own story takes time and so you can e- very easily fall into a, a trap where you know um and otherwise you would have cleared this up all in five minutes you have your mission go kill the bandit commander and you, they go off into the woods and start hunting the bandit commander um the now now you have four hours of bandit commander hunting but if it takes them two hours to decide of all the different plot threads in town they're going to go for the bandit commander now you only have two hours of bandit thread Um, I I get that, and I think that that is bad. And to a certain extent, I actually even think that the better way to play that is to just have the whole first session just be exploring the town, right, and and getting a setting for these people and talking to random NPCs and seeing what they're like and everything like that. Um, And then the second session is really where they say, okay, we're going to go do our mission. We're going to hunt the bandit kind of thing. Oh, see, um, I'm, I'm, I think but was- I come down very hard on that on that exploration side because I think that's the core interest of a lot of new players. That's that, that's that is what is new and different and unique and exciting about D and D is that you can walk up to anybody and you can talk to them and you can find out about you know like and you can and you can break through these invisible walls and you're not on a set of railroads, right? And so I think spending more than normal upfront time getting people off of those railroads is really useful and helpful.
0: See, I, I think I'm going to hard disagree with you there. I think that, like, you're... I think this is for, like, th- this one shot that I'm talking about, right? Like, the one shot that happens before the campaign happens, I think that needs a strong hook so that people can kind of see, like, the the whole thing, right? Like, I, I especially with a game like D&D and Pathfinder, you know, as much as you want to talk about, like, the, as much as the game is is about, like, role-playing and whatnot, it's also about, like, the combat's a core driver of these games. And so I think you do want to introduce people to what the combat's like and how that works. And I do think that you should have some other stuff in there so it's not just, like, you know, like a dungeon crawl. But I definitely think that um, having the ability, like, having a strong hook in the beginning so that players kind of get to, like, do a full task to completion by the end of your first session so they kind of satisfaction of completing a job before... You dump off – like, this is the thing that I, I actually really like in kind of general campaign design, right? Like, um, it's an in-media res, cold open kind of. Um, and then, like, the next session is, is kind of like the actual set, like first session back in town. Um, and uh, No,
1: I, I get that. And I think that that's good for experienced players, right? Like, that's the opening of Hell's Rebels. You guys are stuck in a prison have to get your way out. And then you get out and now, okay, boom, we're setting – This is this is Act 1, Scene 1 right? Setting up the rebellion after you've escaped from prison. So I definitely agree that that is a good plot structure. I just don't like it for introducing people to the game. Like I I said, I I, I think that... I I don't think... No, I will say, actually, um, I think there is a middle ground that's also pretty good, which is where you kind of have, like, uh, lateral thinking problem solving. I actually do this pretty commonly in the game, um, just with experienced players, too, where you do the thing where you just kind of make a problem and then don't build your own solution to it just kind of say this is the context this is all the relevant information F- figure it out do you know what i mean because i think people also get into that
0: yeah i i i, I get that I, I definitely think that like i'm not saying that you should start like in the middle of a battle with like a sword raised but mm-hmm. i definitely think that like starting in town with like you know like somebody says like runs down is like is, my daughter's missing. Somebody help, right? And then you 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 let things kind of go from there. Um, I think I think I think having a strong plot hook rather than having nothing to direct players is 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 better. Like I just I just don't think that like.
1: So so I do think sh- strong plot hooks should be in there, right? But I don't think that the I I like I don't want. I mean, hypothetically speaking, there's a version of this where it's like. You guys all enter a tavern. Here's a couple of different people. They go talk to the first person. He says, my daughter is missing. Please help. And then they just go and do the daughter is missing or whatever, right? Um, And I guess that could happen. That's, like, never happened for me, though, in any of these kind of intro games. Um, Typically what happens is they get all – you know, because I think players are – we talked about this in the completion episode. Like, players are pretty naturally completionist to a certain extent, and so if you give them a plot hook – if you tell them there are four different people in the in the bar, right? Woman in a red dress, elf elf ranger, dwarf warrior, and you know, and a lumberjack who's getting drunk at the bar. They're they're gonna want to talk to all four of those people, right? Sure. And then and then they come back afterwards and they say, oh, this person's missing his daughter. You know, we should do the right thing, and then the rogue says, "Oh, but the lady in red said she'd give us a hundred gold each if we, you know, did such and such or whatever." And I think that that stuff is all is all pretty good, right? Like, I do think that you need strong plot hooks, but it is it should be on the player to opt on, like the players should opt on into those as a as a group and as a team. Um, the other downside to this, by the way, that I that I should mention is that it also depends a lot on your group dynamic. Yeah, uh, because sometimes you can have people who are um, this especially happens with highly experienced players and new players, where the highly experienced player is kind of afforded a default level of authority, and so whatever they want to do kind of goes, because the new players are unsure of themselves, and the, and the experienced player isn't. And you also kind of have to like manage some of, um, some of that and some of those expectations in order to keep everything on the railroad tracks um so to speak well that's actually a bad metaphor because it means two different things but in order to keep things from like going like you know really poorly and the experienced player just kind of dominates the session and strong arms everybody to do whatever he wants kind of thing so you do have to kind of like manage some of those interpersonal things um uh, a bit more because you're offering up more kind of like choice to the player yeah and and I,
0: i would suggest to highlight that if you are that player right like if you're like that secondary player make sure to be cognizant of that right like um it's something I'm very conscious of in in my 5e game is is not only am I am I like the speed player I'm also kind of a bit of the face um and so you just got to be be careful about what you're doing and make sure that you're not overriding everybody else's um kind of judgment with everything um yeah and, and letting letting the new players experience what it is to, what it's like to to be in a new in a new game um but I definitely I definitely think that's that's a fair point. I also think that, like, again on that group dynamics point, I, I think that we're kind of approaching. Like, I, I think part of this is also reading your group, right? Like, I think there are some players who do like to jump on the railroads, um, and so like giving them get like showing them where the tracks are in case they do want to hop on and just like and just like run down the tracks is, um. Is is a good thing, but like not making it like you, you don't have to put them on the tracks. But if you show them the tracks and they decide to get on, I think that that's also a good thing. Does that make sense? Yeah,
1: yeah. And I'm also a big fan of doing that kind of what I had explained earlier, um, like the problem solving. Um, you know, like a version of things where everybody starts in prison and and it is a essentially like a skill challenge. How do you get out of How do you get out of prison? Get all your shit. You know that is also i think an engaging way to um to start a game because i do think people respond to those sorts of open-ended problems in the same sort of way um i've done the prison opening a couple of times um and like hell's rebels is the most directed version of that because there's like plot you know that you guys need to learn right like it was important that gondor is the person there and that he uses the Dreamweaver to get you out because the Dreamweaver is a plot point that's set up for way later you know and all this other kind of stuff um but, uh, but I've also done a version of things that's very, like, loose, and it's just like, okay, you're, like, you're in a prison, the mules are this, the, the guard keeps his thing on his right, you know, on his right hip, and then they, they have to figure it out. Okay, we're gonna lure the guard down by faking a fight, we're going to pickpocket the keys off of the guard, and then we're going to let a, let ourselves out when he goes. Or something like that, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, that, that makes sense.
0: Um... um. I think that this can segue, I think, at least a bit into wait. the, uh, God bless you, um, into, into the, uh, the, 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 the the player part of, uh, of this. Like, advice to new players.
1: Oh, my God, wait, I have one more piece. Okay, fine, go for it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe I keep doing this. I always include a big plot twist in all of my openings for new players, too. Because I think people... Um, and this actually reminds me of the opening, too. Do you, you, do you remember the first session that we played at HPPG where I GMed a 3-5 game and you guys were working for Colonel Steelbrand? Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the plot twist at the end of that session was that, and you found this out, was that Colonel Steelbrand wanted you to go kill some, like, Hobgoblins or whatever, right? But then you kill the Hobgoblin and you find out that Colonel Steelbrand has been false flagging and paying the Hobgoblins to attack so that his mercenary company can exploit lucrative contracts to go kill hobgoblins. Um, and I think those kinds of plot twists get people really invested um, in in the kind of the narrative. Um, you know, things aren't as they seem, right? You might go into, you know, you might go into a bar and you might meet a, a guard who says there's a bounty and that bounty leads you to go do hobgoblins or whatever, right? But, like, to do something that radically changes the dimension of the, the, the story... And a big plot twist that throws things kind of out of whack so that the players are all of a sudden like, oh, this is going in a different direction than I had previously expected. I think that that's like, that's important. I also typically do this at the end of my, I guess you would call it like the first book. Like at the end of my act one, I typically have like a big plot twist along those lines. Yeah. Gonder getting killed by Tonric was a big plot twist at the end of act one. Um, The end of act one plot twist um, for. Another one of my games, well, whatever the case may be, but I I, I, I think that stuff is very necessary, um, especially for new players, because otherwise things can feel a little like rote and by the book, because everybody sort of, even if you've never played a like and d in your life, you can kind of understand what is expected and what is predictable, um, and so layering on layers of kind of like unpredictability is, is an important piece.
0: Yeah, um, well, first of all, I'd like to point out that I'm pretty sure that, that Colonel Steelbrand session was the the infamous lightning bolt session uh so of course I remember that session
1: oh yeah yeah yeah, that was the uh, the lightning bolt session because you went back and you wanted to lightning bolt him and then I was like no <laughs> um yeah but anyway um uh, uh
0: I think I think I think you're right I think that speaks to just like a standard kind of trope for this kind of thing which is the problem that you're solving is a relatively local one right like um, like, you know you're saving the missing villager's daughter or like you're you're dealing with the goblin tribe um that's been attacking the city and it turns out things are not as simple as they appeared um and i honestly think that that's kind of uh cliche but i don't I also don't know if there's like a but but I think it's also, I think it's very good for new players, right? Because it kind of, like, lets them deal and get the win on, like, the local level and gives them a hook to want to come back next week, basically.
1: Yeah, this actually is why I don't like, um, like, Mark has has said in the past that he thinks um, some of the good uh, APs, for instance, uh, Rise of the Rune Lords is a good AP to start on. I actually don't agree with that because I think the first few sessions of that book are pretty boring you're just going and killing goblins and there is a plot twist that comes out a little bit later um that uh that i think is good right with what's her face because she's evil or whatever can't remember her name
0: yeah um but but that's but that's kind of the example of this right like you deal with a goblin attack on the city and you go follow it up and it turns out that things are, are more sinister than they appear and yeah Lord's yeah. is like the kind of what I want to put like the, the, the prototype for like this kind of expanding circle of mysteries. I think that it gets sold a little bit weird. Um, but like, I, I think, I think maybe that this is kind of just a, a, a problem of, of understanding what you're, what, what, like how the writing is supposed to go. But you're supposed to be like, what's this five pointed star that I keep seeing everywhere and why is it a thing? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't, I don't think I haven't,
1: I also haven't read the, the Rune Lords books. Maybe it's like better, uh, but I felt like the, the the uh i i i got the sense that the first couple of of adventures in the Rune Lords campaign could use a little sprucing up
0: so i i think the issue there is that if you know that that's what they're going for you can gm it better but i don't think they explain that to you so the problem is is they don't explain that to you super well enough and what you should like you need to have like the 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 whole campaign in front of you and know what that's going to happen to know that that's the case. Like you can't tell that just from like inside the pages of the first book. Um, and I, th- right. I think, I think you wanted to kind of know the, the, uh, the trajectory of the whole campaign. Um, when you do that, that way, you, you know, to emphasize kind of like this weird five pointed star or whatever. Um, I don't know. I, I think that's, uh, uh, I, I I think Rune Lords is good for that if you know going into it that it's kind of like this kind of like layered onion of unraveling mysteries that kind of go higher and higher each time you solve one. I don't think yeah, every yeah. campaign needs to unravel that many levels, but I think like the one level of local problem is you know harbinger of of worldwide problem is is a standard and well run and good way to do that right. Like similar thing for our five E game right both the the pre-made session was where we played different characters, you know, like, pre-gen characters, was we killed a fire elemental at the end. There was something like, like, there's a bigger thing happening there, right? Like, they're like, something about the disturbance. We're like, what? And then our first session of the actual game, we, um... We went and tried to find uh, a noble's missing, or rather, noble's son was dead. We wanted to find what killed him. And we ended up finding, like, a wall to an alternate plane. And it's like, things are bigger than you think. There are problems happening, and we learned more. Like, it, it hasn't, like, super yeah. unraveled further. Like, we've gotten more information past that, but it hasn't been, like, this kind of, like, unraveling conspiracy like uh, like Rune Lords is. But I, I think that kind of, like, local to, uh, to bigger thing uh, works really well. I think a big part of that too is that your is that the players have a reason to stay together, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, like well, we solve this local problem, and we all kind of want to see what's behind it. So even though maybe we wouldn't normally associate with each other in regular stuff, this is a good enough uh, reason for us to all kind of stick it out and figure out what's happening. Um, and again, I'm going to try and segue into player advice okay, if that's all right segue with you, buddy. For the,
1: yeah, yeah we um, can segue this time. We're good.
0: Um, and, uh, just because it fits well here as, as a segue, um, something that I would recommend for players is, um, uh, a, a, a uh, is to kind of just go with some of it, right? Like, um, I to explain that some, something that, uh, that, that, uh, what's his name? There's some guy on YouTube. I'll, I'll, I'll reference him later. It's like tabletop gaming or something. Um, he, he had this video where he's like, don't play a harry potter play an adventurer right you want to be somebody who you don't want somebody who needs the call to adventure in game you want that call to adventure to have already kind of happened and you're like an adventurer on course um and so like when the opportunity comes you jump at it um Mm -hmm. and uh you know i think playing that type of character is generally going to have more positive results for you because you're willing to engage i think a good example of how this doesn't work out would be um fortis in um in uh uh what was the name of that campaign that we aborted um uh shackles golden shackles um so Fortis was like kind of like the the teen wizard and he never really did any, and like he was resisting the call to adventure which is fine for like a literary character but for a player in the game I think you want you want that you, you want your character to be enthusiastically going along and doing things.
1: So okay, so I actually don't agree with this. Um, I think that is a product of our kind of groups being bad. I've talked about this a little bit before. I find that the connection between our characters is much lower in our groups than I have played with in other groups. Like, I mean, like, typically, what this always happened with me and Max when we were playing in high school, but like, our characters would immediately kind of like, become best friends, and we would care about each other. Or whatever. Or like, and that wouldn't necessarily even happen, like, because we were best friends in real life. Like, there were times when I was GMing, but like, I... I, (laughs) I don't know what it is. Our group doesn't make those kinds of bonds. Like, I want to, like, blame it on something, but I don't know what to say. I, um, I actually think that your experience doesn't...
0: with Max is the exception. I think so many the, more the, But the group... thing is, it's
1: not just with him, though. It's, like, with everybody else I feel like I played with, right? Like, there there are these connections that get built between the characters that are, like, realer, and so you can have somebody be a little bit more resistant to the call to, the, to, to adventure and one of his friends be like no hey come on adventure or something like that do you know what i mean i don't know i, I again i I, I, I think
0: i think that your experience is, is is not typical especially like if you've got like if you are starting in media res and you've got some time to build those connections that makes sense but especially yeah. if you're a new player especially if you're a new player going to play at a table at say your local game shop or like at a con or you know somewhere where you don't necessarily know anybody okay, else I,
1: yeah i definitely i definitely agree and understand in those in those contexts yeah absolutely
0: um and, like, I don't think it's a problem to play your character as if they're maybe a little bit resistant, but I think if no one's willing to to kind of put the hand out to pull you in, right? Like, like if we want to use Kenzo as an example, right? Like, part of the thing there was that, was not only that, like, I don't think it was that none of our characters had bonds, is that all of our characters were kind of sour and dour and none of them in character would have reached the hand out to you, right? Like, none of us were happy-go-lucky characters in that game it was, it was kind of... A miserable party in that way, uh, to be quite frank about it, uh, which is fine for what it was. Um, but with, but because the characters were like that, if if the GM is going, like, if no one is, is is reaching out to you, you kind of have to make that happen on your own. You can't just kind of sit in the corner and try and force someone to pull you back into it. I think I think that kind of plays into, um, you, you know, like be, being a player, being like. Playing your character in a way to maximize your own enjoyment of the game. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you because I,
0: <laughs>
1: I, I I mean, like if you if
0: you if you have somebody who you know or like, not even that you know, right? Like if you think that somebody at the table is willing to do that for you, I think that's fine. But I think if it doesn't happen, you have to you have you are responsible at some level for turning yourself around and pulling yourself back into it. Right, like I thought that that's the thing that you like. Honestly, with Kenzo, I thought that that's the thing you wanted to do, right? Like, you wanted us to, as you we were walking away, to show back up over the hill, right? Like, yeah. like, uh, like I don't know, like, like any hundred of uh, any of a hundred movies where, like, um, you know, the it appears that the protagonist is ba- or like the the antihero is bailed on our protagonists, um, and you, like you know, like Han Solo shooting yeah. Vader no, in the No, that first that,
1: that is exactly what I was going for. And nobody, but like nobody, turned around and came back. But the point is, but like the point is, if I was playing in a game with like Max, he would have turned around to go back. Or if like in Starfinder with Charles Powell, he would have turned around to come back. Or if it's not even me, right? Like the connection between. Uh, in the Warhammer game, Megan and Aaron was real enough. She would have co- turned around and come back. Do you know what I mean? That's why. I th- that's why I feel like our games are the outsider. We're, but, but uh. like, I mean, and it's not even that much of an outsider because if you think about it, Atticus would have turned around and gone back for Colbjorn, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's just sometimes we don't have those kinds of connections down. Um, and so, and so I think in certain circumstances, you can definitely play like a kind of Harry Potter character. A lot of the times when I do, um, when I do campaigns, I will have like sort of a central character. Um, like somebody will be sort of like elevated in importance in some way not to make them a protagonist. Right. But so like, for instance, um, You know i did a whole airship campaign right with my with my la friends in fourth edition one of those guys had to be the captain right he was the person whose pirate captain father died under mysterious circumstances and left the the pirate ship to the pirate airship, to him in his will, right? And so he is the captain, and he is elevated in importance because it was his dad who died, which is kind of like a long, longer-running kind of, like, plot thread. Everybody else is still important in making decisions and stuff like that, right? But, like, I'll, I, I will kind of make someone, quote-unquote, Frodo, who is carrying the ring, even though it is, like, an ensemble piece, right? Um, to For a certain sure. extent, Alaric was that in Hell's Rebels, though to a much lesser, lesser extent. I would actually kind of say that Beauregard more accurately fills that role.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's. I mean, part of that is. Uh, I mean, I'm sure we'll have a lot to say when we ever do the retrospective on that game, but um, part of that is, is Beauregard's kind of like hard leaning to the local politics. But um, I think. I, I think on the basis of a new player coming into the game, I think your first character being an adventure-ready character is a solid piece of advice, right? Like, if you want to play with those tropes a little bit later, I think that that's, that that's fine. But I think if you're a new player, I think you do want to to kind of be be adventure-ready, um, just, just for, to maximize your own enjoyment, right? Because at, at some level, you can't guarantee that anybody else at the table is going to care or that your GM is going to be um, kind of maybe skillful enough or recognize what, what's happening in, in order to kind of dra- drag you back in. And so I think for your own benefits, you can have the best time that you have being an adventure-ready character. I think is a little bit better. Um, you follow that? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, similarly, I would I would also, again, I've went over this before, but I would suggest, I would say that I think that you should play the character that you want to play most but not to a point where it's over complex, if that makes sense. This is a really tough balance. I,
1: I think that over-complexity is a thing that comes out of people put a lot of weight in their backstory because I think they conceive of backstory wrong. Backstory wrong uh, is what I mean when I... Is, is kind of like... When you make a whole backstory that includes like plot threads, and it's like you're telling someone a story, right? And you want them to be like, on the edge of their seat about oh will the per this person get away from well it's backstory that stuff doesn't matter right you're not yeah. telling a story with it you what a backstory does is set a context for your character and give them a personality right. Why is your character, you know, a hard-ass? Oh, well, he's a veteran of the Second War, and he lost, and that sucks, and he's still bitter about it to this day, right? That is a detail from the backstory that informs, like, the character's personality, and I think that that is the um, kind of definitionally proper way to approach uh, a backstory. What I see a lot of new players do is they're like, oh... Backstory, I get it. And then they, like, tell a big, long story about themselves. And then also leave in a whole bunch of plot threads like, oh, and then my father's murderer got away and I never found him or whatever. And I think that that stuff, like, I can understand that. And to a certain extent, I think you can work with the DM in order to make that stuff work. That's fine. Um, but, like, if you leave plot threads hanging from your backstory, um, I think you have to be prepared for those plot threads to to be gone, to be, like, let go. Like, a good GM will take advantage of that, and they will, like, reincorporate that back into the game, right? You know, Kenzo left his backstory with uh, Jessa, the girlfriend, right, leaving him in the middle of the woods after they after they reconnected, and he has no idea why. Um, and so that is the big... Like, like, that is, like, a, a big plot thread that Mark did pick up on, but he didn't have to. And, and if Mark didn't, that stuff still informs Kenzo's personality, and that's what you should be focusing on, right? Like, who is, what is my character's personality? What's their worldview, right? What is their ideology? What do they think about any of these other sorts of things, right? Do they, what do they think about magic? What do they think about gods? What do they think about, you know, any of you know, any, like, the nobility or whatever? Um, those are the important questions, not, you know my character wants to go avenge the death of his father or something kind of along those yeah, lines. Yeah,
0: and, and I would say as a corollary to that, like, try and keep some of those details, like, some of those things vague, too, right? Like, that way, it can, you can fill in details later, right? Like, um, something, like, something, you know, like, this, this hardness of, like, of the this, this second war that was lost, right? Just leave it at that and fill in the details of, like, how that war was lost later or or like what exactly your company did later so that I can, maybe you can build it into your, into your story if you want. Um, and by, by like kind of having a rough idea, it kind of lets it flow better. I would say an example for you, like, you know, and then my father's murderer got away. Instead of that, it's like, I don't know what happened to my father. All I know is that one day he wasn't there anymore. And you can resolve that in a variety of ways. It gives the GM a little bit more room to kind of maneuver, right? Like maybe he was murdered. Maybe he just ran away and he's living as a cobbler because, uh, he got sick of the noble life or something like that. Right? Like, um, I would recommend those kind of things. But the thing I I actually meant by that, because this has been a little different tact, which um, makes sense. You were going with the more story thing. I mean, like, in terms of what you want your character to be kind of mechanically, right? Oh, oh, okay. Right, like, I I firmly believe that you should play the character that you want to play. Um, Like, your first character should be, like, the thing you've always dreamed of playing. I think that sometimes I can get a little hard. Yeah, like,
1: if, if in every RPG you always start out by playing a super blaster wizard, right, you should play a wizard, even if it's complicated, right? Yeah. And even if people say, oh, well, wizard probably shouldn't be your first class. No, you tell them to fuck off and play a wizard and you specialize in evocation and you just blow motherfuckers up.
0: Yeah, I, I would say that, like, maybe kind of try and hue to, like, something that's, a like, a little bit more of a a standard version of that just kind of like not to avoid being too complex, right? Like being, being like a, a, a battle mage is a common enough fantasy that I think you're just finding, like trying to be a, a magus, right? But like, if like your thing is you always like being, I don't know, like some, some very, I don't know, like, I don't even know how to put this, but like some very strange fantasy, right? Like if, if you want to be like the, the, uh, I don't know, like your Skyrim character, right? Like, this, this is the thing I, th- I think that works out because I, I saw a character go into this, right? Like, they wanted to do, like, heavy armor and archery and sneaking because, you know, like, Skyrim kind of gives you... Because you are the sole protagonist, gives you kind of that flexibility um, with a dash of magic, right? Like, that's maybe a few too many things. And so trying to distill that down to, like, what the most important aspects of that are that way you could fit into, like... Um, you know, like, 5e has an Eldritch Knight, so that gets you two of those things. Or, like... Being, like, a fighter that specializes in archery also works, right? Like, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because, like, again, this is for your benefit as a player, right? Like, kind of trying to to juggle a lot of those multi-class elements is very difficult um, and will require you to go into, like, a lot of splat that you probably don't want to for your first character. So, like, as much as... I do definitely want to tell you that you should be playing the thing that you want to play, but try and make it so that the thing you want to play is, is kind of, like a little bit more of an easily envisionable archetype, if that makes sense. Yeah,
1: I I also don't like people using guides. And to be honest with you, this is a little bit controversial. I don't like the GM essentially, you know, like, (sighs) building your character. There's a certain amount of that the GM has to kind of help with players their first time, most likely. um, and But, like, I have seen quite a bit of GMs who you say? Well, I want to play a battle mage, and then you go, oh, and then you give them the multi-class character or or whatever instead of playing, giving them the magus, right? Or you give them, you know, where where the GM kind of almost builds the character for you. Yeah, no. So um, I, I've
0: actually got a story about this. This is, this is this is bad mea culpa. Um, we we were playing Wrath of the Righteous. Um, uh, this was like kind of the second game for, or actually, everybody was an experienced player, but like. We were talking about different options. We knew it was a high-powered game. Um, and so, like, I had this idea for this dumb cheese monster, which is basically like a, a Mystic Theurge that abused some, like, weird rules loophole that kind of would let you get um, extra levels of Mystic Theurge, which technically doesn't work. It's not important, but it was a dumb cheese monster idea. I was like, Alexia, you should do this. He was like, okay. And I kind of built it for him, and then he proceeded to not use the character very well at all, and it's not his fault, right? It's entirely my fault. Um, and so he just at some point rebuilt it as in it's just like a straight sorcerer. Um and I think that if uh like he had built that on his own, he would have been much better. And to like I don't know. Something to point out there is like that like Mystic Thayerge is a neat concept and I think it's a valid concept. But juggling two spell lists as a new player is, is terrible. Um I would say um I think the the built in safety there is that you can't do that till level five anyway. So like you're for, you're forced to at least playing kind of the rut of your sorcerer for at least a level, probably two or three or your wizard or whatever. Right. Um, before you switch over to your, to your, uh, um, to your, to your, secondary class. Um, and, and I think, I think kind of, um, I think this kind of flows into another piece of advice, which is if you're starting at not level one, you should probably play a non multi-class character, um, just to kind of like make things easier for yourself. Um,
1: Yeah. To be honest with you, I think the right thing to do in basically every situation is to sit down, hand a player a book or like the PDF of the book and just let them go at it. I don't like giving people the SRD because I think the SRD has too much information and you kind of get that like choice paralysis. But I think when people are sitting and they're reading through, you know, and they're reading through the book and they're looking at the classes, they just kind of naturally self-select. Um, And they see – and maybe you need to direct them a little bit. They're like, oh, you know, like I want to play a dwarf. uh, You know, like I want to play like a a plate dwarf warrior or whatever. And you say, oh, well, like, okay, some of the best options for that are fighter and paladin. Maybe you give them a little bit of direction. Um, Um, A lot of the times I feel like people find their own things that they think is cool. And then you want them to come to you and say, hey, can I do this? And most of the time you say yes because it's – an easy interaction or maybe you say no because they're misreading something right like this happened with Warren where the first time he wanted to play uh, he play he was playing a dwarf fighter and then he was just looking through feats and he saw disarm and then he saw throw anything and he was like, oh my god, I can combine these two feats. I can disarm somebody and then use their own weapon as a throwing weapon to attack them with it. And that's cool. And you and I might know that is hilariously like unoptimal and bad as from, uh, from like a, like a DPR perspective or any of those sorts of things. But obviously, it's his first game and that's what he's enthusiastic about it. Fuck yes! Play the dwarf warrior that specializes in disarming people and then throwing their weapons at them for a bunch of damage or whatever, right? Like, and I and I think that is the right way to kind of approach it. The caveat there is that that creates big power imbalances because a lot of the times new players are going to have a bad time optimizing. Um, and if you have somebody who is a good optimizer, you then you then run into like power problems.
0: All right, I, I do want to get back to that in just a second, but something I, I just to add a, a thought onto that is sure. um is i think what you want to do is ask them what their general character concept is and nine times out of ten hand them the crb and be like look at these classes um whereas and then like those one out of ten times right where it's like i'd like to play a battle mage right yeah and then, then you hand them the magus yeah, yeah you okay. hand them the, the 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 magus um honestly for pathfinder that might literally be the only time you do that because i think honestly even if you want to play really?
1: you know you, i i could see myself hand off a couple of the other classes maybe like the hybrid classes and stuff i think
0: it'd be a case by case basis right like if you like i think yeah. brawler has a place cuz it's got some cool stuff in it um and it, but like if you want to play a battle cleric i think you hand them the regular cleric um uh, rather than the war priest um, yeah that's
1: fair no i'm not, because i'm also thinking about stuff like like i feel like cavalier uh well well cavalier is actually mounted um, maybe this actually isn't as easy as, th- as I thought. I need to actually like sit down and take a look at some of these classes, because um, I feel like most of the multi classes, <clears throat> you know, if they want to play an assassin, I give them rogue, right? I don't give them slayer necessarily. Um, but I feel like I would have an easy time giving somebody oh, kineticist, right? Like this is such an easy one. Sure, I can hand off a kineticist right off the bat see, without worrying about it. I also think psychic to a certain extent. See, is very I easy so my, handoff.
0: I feel like. I feel like for a player's first game I don't even want like that book being anywhere near the table in particular right like I like I am fine with that book in general but I think that like kind of the tonal sh- like the, the the kind of like tone of psychic stuff in the game is not for a first campaign really yeah I, I don't know I wow. I personally really don't like any of like I feel that psionics is a, is a weird psionics in the, you know that's what the, the those the psychic classes mm-hmm. are is essentially a psionics kind of twist I think that they are fine, but n- so not core to the experience that I would want not want them in a in a player's first
1: game. I would I would say that to like boy, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I because I mean I think some of the CRB, but I, I I would maybe include I don't know just like like one like looking at it, Magus, Oracle. I could see yeah,
0: Oracle makes sense.
1: Uh, which maybe and eh, maybe not. Um, I don't think anything from the hybrid. Cl- Actually, I think I would include Swashbuckler because I think Swashbuckler it's different enough. Yeah. But uh, I don't think I would include anything from the hybrid cl- classes. Maybe Brawler. Um, and then I could definitely see Kineticist and uh and like Psychic come out of Occult. Um, you know, because I think to a certain extent, like, I don't know, I I definitely think that the Occult classes have their own have their own appeal. Like, if somebody's like, oh, I want to be, a, you know, like I want to be a a witch doctor, hedge wizard, mystery man, right? Like that, you know. I'm sure you could do that as a sorcerer or whatever else, but um, I don't feel like the occult classes have a have a have a, a huge barrier to entry for kineticist and for psychics. Uh, so, so, like I think occultist, mesmerist are wrong. Spiritualist, maybe you could do. So, so Just I don't like a think class. that
0: their barrier to entry is too high. I think that the the tone that the occult classes come with is. Is kind of like kind of like bends the high fantasy bent of of Pathfinder that I'd want to restrict it. Okay. Um, but that's you know
1: that that I feel that yeah I, I definitely fall on the other side of that like I feel like those kinds of things I, I don't know that I would call the core to Pathfinder, um, but I definitely feel like mysterious you know magic along those kinds of um, uh, mysterious magic along those kinds of I guess avenues is 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 within the bounds and it's okay but yeah i definitely think that you should restrict classes especially some of the more complicated classes um like i think it would be a massive mistake for anybody to ever walk into a game and play an arcanist for their first thing do you know what i mean yeah like you should start with sorcerer or wizard
0: yep right? absolutely um not that i don't like the arcanist it's just that like it's, it's, no, I
1: mean, I love the Arcanist, but I just don't think it is it is. if you... I mean, even for somebody's, like, first spellcaster, I think it's okay. Um, you know, like, Charles was coming off of playing one game, like, your game. Two games, two of like, my games, yeah. Okay, but, like, he hadn't played a spellcaster, right? Right, no, no, no. Yeah, but yeah. yes. But and then and then, he, and then he walks in and he says, I want to play Arcanist. I think that's fine, right? Because you, you've seen spells, and you know how spells work, just kind of by proxy. Um, and so... But like for somebody's first interaction with you know spell lists and spells per day and just all of those base concepts, I feel like it is too complex to have to have Arcanist in there. Um the same thing with kind of pet rules, I think, in the Hunter, for instance. Um Yeah,
0: I, I would say you'd want to do Ranger or Druid if you're gonna do that concept and like leave Hunter for a later iteration. I I think that this this is a this is this is also a piece of advice to your players, right? Like if you're tempted to pick one of those options, I would say for your first game, go with one of the 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 uh, the older classes, just because they're like more standardized, more built out. Other players at the ta- like part of this too is that like other players at the table will know the older classes better and be able to help you more with it too, right? Like everybody knows have been playing the game for a while, how the wizard works, right? Like, I don't know off the top of my head all of the Arcanist rules, but I know most of the wizard rules and most of the sorcerer rules. And so from that aspect, for for helping you have the best time that you can have, like, having a character that other players can help you with a little bit to, like, remember stuff is is good. Um, I think we've done a, a lot of of kind of GM advice um, but I do kind of want to address one other thing, which which is this thing you alluded to earlier, which is power balance levels. How, how like I have found that like if you've got one experienced player and mostly new players at the table, the the experienced player uh, is pretty good about self censoring themselves most of the time. Um, but if you've got a number, like if you've got one new player, it's it, it it it's less. It's it's less good.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a big difference between. Because I also think that that experienced player typically has an onus on themselves to help, right? And they want to help out. And they want to be like, hey, you know, I just want to, you know, it would be really useful if you use this class ability now. But sometimes you get into this situation where, like, the experienced player is kind of piloting for other players. Sure. Um and, I don't know, I don't have a good way to, I don't have a good way to fix that, uh, without going outside of the rules, like, I typically do stuff like I made bonus feats in, in Hell's Rebels, that was a big balancing act, because I could tell on, on paper that Warren's character, Warren is more of a theater kid than a Captain Crunch, and that he didn't build his character incredibly optimally, and so I gave him, boom, here's some, essentially buffs that put you on the line with somebody who did build optimally, optimally namely, you know, Enoch, um, and then obviously, right, like you know, and and those bonus feats had had other kind of calculus uh, to them that wasn't necessarily about correcting power imbalances, right? Like the bonus feat for the bonus feats for Beauregard are just about helping Beauregard be useful in combat. Yeah, um, but that that, so that, that is a thing anything. I went into. That's
0: the thing I went into the game knowing, right? Like I knew that. No,
1: yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have any impact sure. on combat at all, right? Sure, I,
0: I, um, absolutely. Um, I think no. maybe maybe part of this too is like if you let's say you are going to restrict your players to um to to the core rule like your 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 new players to the core rulebook right like pick something out if you're like with very selected things like make sure that your experienced players are held to the same same sets that way they can only optimize so far right like the really i don't want to say bad but the really excessive optimizations i think come with a lot of the splat and so if you're like you know this is this is a, a game for newer players we're going to have, you know, I'm going to limit some of the selection here. That way, you can't get too far away from people. I think that most people are going to be okay with that, and if they aren't, you can politely ask them to leave and that this game isn't for them. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, I agree.
0: Um. Uh, but uh, do we have any other stuff for players? I feel like we really talked a lot to GMS on how to on how to like introduce a new player to the game. I think we, I do want to throw out some more stuff for for players on on. Uh, what to get uh, I think
1: my big thing for players is to explore um, in a way that um, might be like counterintuitive. I don't. I I think you as a player should challenge the GM to a certain extent um, by making your um, specific. The, by 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 like making your specific kind of experience. You do do you know what I mean? Like I like I think you shouldn't get you shouldn't like train track yourself, um, and I think that there is a is a push to do that sort of. And so I any, any new player that ever plays in any of my games, I would offer the advice: don't feel bad, right? It is okay to throw things off the rails a little bit and to challenge things and to come up with new solutions or different solutions or try another approach or anything kind of along those lines. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I And I, I would agree
0: with that insofar as it's... As long as you're pushing things forward and not holding things back, right? Like, if you're challenging it to, like, move the story forward I'd rather just be like, well, I want to sit at home and cry. Um, Like, I think I... Like, you know, not, not, not to, to be dismissive, but, like... I think you do want to at least be contributing to the story moving forward and the game being fun for everyone. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yep. Um, I'd say something else that I think is kind of for, for a player seeking a group. I think ideally you want a game with a lot of other new players, but an experienced GM. Um, cause I think, I, th- I think that those make like, th- that makes for like, uh, the least kind of resistance. If you've got the luxury of finding that, right. Like, um, mm-hmm. Because the other players will kind of be at the same optimization footing as you, right? Like, like I said, my preferred one is one GM, one experienced player, and uh, four, um, uh, four, four or so new, three or four new players. Um, you know, assuming that the the, the experienced player is, is thoughtful and not kind of like a, a power gamer. Um, uh, just because I, th- I think that that runs uh, runs things smoothly. Um, uh... uh and I think that uh like like you said, don't be afraid to kind of push the boundaries of what you can do, like because that that is the magic of an RPG, right? Like just say like this is what I want to do. Um something else that I I, th- I think that's kind of important, um, and I think this goes for all players, not just new ones, but uh make sure to match tone, right? Like um like Beauregard is a relatively serious character because Hells Rebels is a relatively serious campaign. And when I tell jokes in Sessions, it's always, like, out of character, right? Um, and and I apologize, like, I don't know if that annoys you or not, I apologize if it does, but, like, um, that's, like, I think something that's kind of important, whereas, like, in Starfinder, um, my character Octavian, it's a goofball game, so he's just kind of, like, crazy and off the wall, but you don't, you don't want your, your character to be so totally dissident, um, with, with the, uh, the rest of the players, like, um, like, I love, uh, what was his name, uh, 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 Matt, maybe the the uh the dude from HPPG that like shook it, just, like uh, shook that that wand of one one wondrous rod and like turned somebody
1: to stone in the middle of a piece of RP. Remember that? Oh my God, that was so frustrating. Yeah. Yes, I do remember that because it destroyed yeah. me. Um, and then, I mean that was also a mixed match because we had two GMs GMing in at the same time in the same game, and yeah. it was like the two least compatible gms because it was nick on one side and me on the other
0: yeah um, um it was it was theoretically a good match because nick could handle the mechanics you could handle the story but it just ended up with like you each taking half responsibilities on each and doing the 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 unex- like the the less preferred half worse uh, Yeah, un- unfortunately um <sighs> boy, oh boy. yeah that was a game but like um the point being you know not, not to, to, to shit on that guy because he's a good dude um I really liked his his Warhammer 40K game that we played in. Um mm. but um that character was not the right character for what that campaign wanted to be. Um and so uh and similarly, um you know, for the for the show Zhao, um uh uh your your first character Tom Shanks was not the right character for Rune Lords. Um and
1: you
0: you know like it's 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 fun like i you know i don't blame zara for that i didn't i didn't address that problem when it cropped up i didn't understand the problem i don't think as well like this is part of growing pains as a gm um and that's that's totally on me but like um if your gm doesn't have this insight try and make sure that you understand it that um that you don't want to be screwing with like you don't want to be like screwing with the the the, uh, the game that much does that make sense you don't you don't want to be yeah. screwing with the tone of the game. Is, is probably the way I want to put it. Yeah, um, I th- I think that's like I think that's super important. Like like gauge and match the tone. And you know, even if like you know the, the easiest way to do that is be the GM. What's the tone of this game? Um, um, and again, this this applies to all players, not just new players. But I think it's a thing that if you haven't played enough games, maybe you you, you don't realize right like that you're. You know, your slapstick your slapstick wizard isn't good for the super serious game about like taking back the kingdom, but maybe it is okay for like the kind of like zany monster of the week adventure if that's the type of campaign that that, that that's going on. Yeah. Um And there are shades in between. Um but I don't know if I really have uh any other thoughts on that. I, I think um this turned out into a lot of, adv- of an advice episode, which I think is fine, but I think at some point in the future we should do a little bit more of kind of like a, 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 like, this is like advice to new players, I think we should do like more of like a true intro, like, you know, like, you know, this is what a role-playing game is, and this is, um, and, and this is like how you should be doing basic interaction with things, what, what do you think about that?
1: Uh, I don't, uh, uh, I don't have any thoughts about that, uh, I guess. We'll, 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 think, we'll discuss that, and maybe, maybe yeah, you'll we'll see that episode soon. I'll have to soon. think about it,
0: yeah. Um, but, uh, regardless of that, um, what's, uh, how was your week?
1: Uh, okay, so I've done a bazillion fucking Warfronts in World of Warcraft, and it's the greatest thing ever, and it's so fun. Have you done any yet? Did you get on?
0: No, I haven't been on WoW in, like, a while
1: yeah yeah no i know yeah so warfronts um so warfronts are really interesting by the way the whole wow community hates everything right now so uh everything i'm about to say is like incredibly controversial because the only acceptable stance is to just think blizzard is the second coming of satan um so what this is how warfronts work uh your so right now the horde is attacking stromguard right from Argorok, we are attacking stromguard and uh, that, that's up for a whole week. And during that week, you can join a queue, right, and go do the Warfront. The very first Warfront you do gives you a piece of 370 gear, which is um, equivalent to heroic uh, raid gear. And then every other piece that you get is 340 gear, which is the equivalent of Baseline Mythics, right, uh, by Baseline Mythic uh, Dungeons. So, essentially, doing one Warfront gives you a really good piece of gear, and then you can spam to get pretty good you know like gear but like that is worse than normal raid tier gear normal raid tier gear is 355 um it's also lfr gear is 340 also um and you can keep doing it over and over again and you are guaranteed a piece of loot and your piece of loot is weighted to be a piece of loot that is an upgrade for you right so i did maybe 15 or 20 now nah, 15 sounds right i probably did 15 warfronts um and got uh, and basically decked myself out in 340 gear of all like the different uh, of all the different slots and everything. Some of those being upgrades, some of those not being upgrades because I am raid and I have some raid gear and stuff like that. Um, but uh, but I am now completed. I have had one of every piece, so I have the full Transmog set. Like I have one of every piece of the Warfront gear, right? Um, and then so so then it's up for a full week for the for the the horde to do. And then after that, what will happen is the horde will "Quote unquote," own Arathi Highlands, and a series of lucrative quests will spawn. Um, and these quests give you uh, another chance at 340 gear. They give you a bunch of war resources. They give you a bunch of Azurite, um, and they're t- and they're built to be completed kind of as a group. So it's a little bit more like you know going and find. They're not elites, but they are tough to solo, um, and it is like more challenging content because there's a lot of mobs they're packed together tightly you're going to do big pulls right they have more, higher than average hp and so what it's built to do is you get in a group and you go around all of erath the highlands and you complete all these different quests um and you bring them and then you bring them back and you get good rewards right 200 gold 200 more resources whatever else and then um during this time the alliance is doing what's called warfront contributions where they are um contributing gold War resources, and then crafted goods, like different crafted goods depending on, uh, like, profession, to, uh, to the Warfront campaign. And that's going to create, like a, like, a bar, sort of like the Mage Tower had that bar in the Broken Shore. Um, and after about a week, uh, that bar will fill up, and they will be the ones attacking, um, and they will be the ones that are attacking Argorok from Stromgrard. Um, oh, also one more thing. When you own Arathi Highlands, you there is a world boss that spawns there that drops a piece of three seventy, so heroic level loot. Um, and so, uh, and so that's the cycle of warfronts. And so basically, and each one of the and each of these kind of processes takes about a week. So um, once every four weeks, the a, a warfront is up. Um, the actual warfront itself is amazing and super fun and delivers on all of the promises that blizzard had i i like like i said that's apparently an unpopular opinion but i fully think that is the they wanted it to be rts gameplay and it basically is um you are much more a hero unit in warcraft 3 than you are like the top down player in something like starcraft um in the sense that you are very powerful and you affect the map in certain sorts of ways obviously um But, you know, you you also get to sort of like direct things. One of the big, uh, the the very first thing you do is you go claim a lumberyard and you go claim a mine. And in the mine, iron will spawn um, and you can collect iron up to a cap. And in the Lumberyard, wood will spawn, and you can collect wood up to a cap. And then you bring it back to your base, and then you can funnel that into any number of different things. Um, If you want to be, like, I I would call them offensive and defensive players. If you want to be an offensive player, you take that iron, and you take that wood, and you invest it in yourself. Um, You go to the barracks, and you train. You can have up to two guys that go with you of different troop types. Um, You train your troops, and, um, and then when you do that, you get... The um, when you do that, you get these troops that are running around Arathi- or you that, that are running around the warfront with you. Um, so what ends up happening is, Oh, and you can also buff yourself by, you know, 40% attack and damage or whatever, right? And so what happens is you kind of become like a one-man murder house, right? Uh, And so you're running around. You have a couple of NPCs with you. These big waves are spawning, so it's also a little bit like League of Legends. Um, And the more powerful you build your base, the more spawn in each wave. And so you want to, like, catch a wave of essentially minions um an attack like uh, one of the alliance positions and the alliance are sending out waves and you want to defeat their waves but if you want to be a defensive player what you can do is you basically just sit there and farm resources the whole game and i definitely do that sometimes where i'll just sit in the mine and i'll farm up to 200 iron and then i'll go back to base and i'll turn that iron in to upgrade my units attack and damage or to build new buildings to increase the, you know, the, the, the amount of minions that get released with each wave or I go to the lumber yard and, and, you know, and I do any of those kinds of things. And then you join in at the, at the very end. And basically you progress through the entire map. Um, where you know first you're taking the these the the iron and lumber yard and then you're taking kind of more advanced positions and the more advanced position gives you access to different kind of troops or whatever the case may be um and then eventually you spawn siege weapons and you are assaulting the gates of stromguard and then inside stromguard there is a named this is my favorite part this is there is a named faction leader right and uh, for this week it is daneth trollbane who is the leader of honor hold and is like the heir to stromguard and you fight him like a raid boss. Uh, but kind of like an LFR raid boss or like a world boss where they're very simple mechanics, right? Just don't stand in this thing. Attack him, you know, from this angle so he doesn't, you know, do, do a shield or whatever. Um, and then and then you win. And the whole thing takes like 30 minutes or so. And it's, it's fucking fun. I don't know what else to say about it. Um, it is super fun. It's super lucrative. It feels good. I've been doing them with my friends all week. We have tons of fun doing it. And... Uh, and everybody who's complaining about it on the fucking WoW subreddit is wrong.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, sounds neat. I don't know. I, I just I just kind of fell off of WoW. Not I don't yeah. think that like, the expansion is super terrible or anything. It, it was the standard reasons I fall off of WoW, right? Which is right, right. Like I just got tired of the grind very fast. They probably came back um a little bit too too fast uh or rather too early, right? Like it came back back in March, um kind of. Blew out my, my six months of patience or whatever. Um, although I will say that I think a big part of it is that fishing is terrible. Um, but you know, I'm not I'm not too mad about that. I can only be so I can only be reasonably so mad about that. Um, right. Uh, but yeah, maybe I'll try and pick that up. I, I doubt it though. Um, Probably to keep playing Shadows of Mordor, which is oh yeah.
1: How's that? Tell me about it.
0: It's fun. Um, I don't think it's... I don't like it as much, I think, as I like Shadow of Mordor. Um, this is Shadow of War. I don't remember which one I said first. Um, um, but, uh, I, I I'm having trouble putting my fingers on it. There are, like, once I've got, like... I thought the beginning of the game was a bit tough, but now that I've got, like, a, a full speed of upgrades, I'm not having a lot of trouble with a lot of things. Um, uh, I think the Nemesis system is just too good. It's the best part of this game. It's the best part of... Um, of Shadow of Mordor, and it just it just works t- super well. It feels super good, even if you die. You know, like you you promote a captain and things happen. Um, I think that there's some some kind of heavy. One of the heavier flaws is um, uh, there's a mechanic where you take forts, right? And you can make the, taking the fort easier by uh by taking down uh, the subcaptains uh of of the fort. The, they're called the war chiefs. Um, but uh, I'm playing it kind of like. Uh, a hard difficulty, right? Like, there's, like, easy, normal, hard, super hard, and, like, extra double hard. Uh, So I'm playing kind of, like, one above standard. Um, And uh, uh, those captains, I think, respond a little bit too frequently for my taste, because, like, I'll be just be done getting through with a couple, with, with, like, two of them. Like, so I I killed two on the one fort, and then I went and did something else, and I went and, uh, and something, something went wrong, and I, or it's like, the, you know, like I, I had a, I had a fail, right, like I, I died, and like, one of the captains responded, I'm like, okay, that's fine, I mm. went and dealt with him, Um, and then while I was dealing with him, the other captain responded, I was like, screw it, and I went and I, I, I just did the assault and killed him in the middle of the assault, which was fine, Um, but like, it's, the, the problem is, is that, so part of the thing you can do is you can infiltrate uh, your people into like their into their into their organization and have them betray them when you go and hunt them. And that takes like in game time um right. to the point where like once I've killed one war boss, if I then go and uh, start recruiting people for the other war boss, then that starts the clock ticking about that about the first war boss being replaced. So what you what I kinda have to do is I have to set up all of like the infiltrators at once and then knock over each of the captains and then go do the final assault. Um and that's fine, I guess. Um, it's just, uh, it, it's just you know, like if, if something goes wrong in the middle of any of that, the whole kind of plan's ruined. Um, not that it it's super super terribly difficult to just do the the the, the full frontal assault. Um, uh, although maybe, maybe it is. I, I haven't actually done like an like an a a, a, a like a full full powered assault from the other person yet. Um, but you know, regardless, it's 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 still, it's still a good time. I, I would not say that it's it's, it's not fun. Um, uh, also, the, the thing that, that keeps getting to me is that like, some you know like when when you do a thing where you know what the outcome is going to be at least roughly right like with right. with with the Star Wars prequels we know that Anakin's eventually going to become Darth Vader and so you you kind of are anticipating this fall and you kind of watch it happen as it goes right. I don't feel like they do enough of that in this game. Because you know that he can't go and kill Sauron at the end of it. Right? Like, right. I guess he could, right? And this could be like a, you know, Django and Unchained version of Lord of the Rings. But, like,
1: you know he can't. And you get a little bit of, like... Sorry, when you say Django and Change, do you mean Inglorious Bastards? I do mean Inglorious Bastards. You're absolutely okay. right. Okay, I just wanted Thank to be you. clear. <laughs> Thank you.
0: Uh, um, uh, yeah, but, um, you know, like, it's... It's 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 also overall like video games are over a much longer time, right? Like I can deal with a glorious past to be like, well, how are they going to deal with Hitler getting away for an hour and a half to have it not happen and flip up me. I've been in this game for like ten hours now, maybe probably like fifteen at this point. Um, and so just kind of like the and I am the Bright Lord and I am going to defeat Sauron. I'm like that's definitely not true. It's never going to be true. Anybody who knows anything about the series knows that it's not going to be true. So right. Um, maybe drop the shoe a little faster there, game or something. Um, and I don't know how it resolves. Like, I haven't spoiled myself on it yet, but uh, it, it it is kind of, kind of grating on me. That's like, no, we, I know, he knows, everybody knows. This is not how it's going to go. So maybe do a little bit of yeah. I almost wish that happen.
1: he had like I almost wish that he was more like if he was directed against like the Witch King of Angmar or something like that because you could you could see that. It's like, you know, these guys are already revenants. They're already ring wraiths, right? Sure, fucking Celebrimbor and whatever the dude's name is Talian. kill the Witch King, Talion. They kill the Witch King, and the Witch King despawns for a while before Sauron raises him again to go hunt the ring. And, oh, you're also kind of fixing a plot hole on why the ring wraiths never went out and fucking got the ring from Gollum or something. You know what I mean? Something kind of along yeah. those lines. Yeah. It doesn't make sense with any of the timeline, obviously, but the point is, like... I feel like it's, I've seen this in other properties too, um, specifically the Star Wars, the Force Unleashed games, because you start as like Darth Vader's apprentice, but they don't have you being like, oh, I'm going to go kill Darth Vader and the Emperor, right? No, like they they set up other people for you to go kill.
0: Yeah, and Um, and like in the first
1: game, you're, 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 you're killing, I think. Oh my God, you're right. Yeah, they did in the fucking first game because you killed the mouth of Sauron, right? Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. Okay. It makes it, it it makes perfect sense, right? Like, and you know, some of the stuff that you do is cool, right? Like, you see how Minasithil becomes um, Minas Morgul, um, and that makes sense, right? Like, that's 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 fine. That's not a thing that like even you know, it's probably elaborated in one of the books, but it's not like a thing that's like so so ingrained in the popular conscience that it's a problem, um, right? Uh and so something, something like, the, like again, it makes sense that he's going after Sauron, and there's like obviously going to be some twist that I know that has to happen. Um, but just if if they could like have that happen, like just just something that it's not just kind of like this whole like beating the same gong that I know can't resolve the right way. Um, that just rubs me the wrong way. I don't know how how if there was if there's a really good way to deal with it, but I, I can tell you that it that it it's it's not great for me. Um, uh... Otherwise, the only other thing I want to talk about is I've been watching this show called Letter Ke- Letter Kenny. It's a Canadian show. Um, it's kind of like one part Trailer Park Boys and one part, like, I don't even know, like, like, skit, skit like, like uh, very form-based sketch comedy. I don't, I don't know what the right way to, to, to put that is. But, like, there's, like, no normal lines of dialogue in the show. It's It's all, like, these kind of, like, form conversations that all go um like a like a certain way like with a certain tenor and a certain like almost musicality to it. Um, uh-huh. it, um and it's based around kind of like four sets of people. There's like the the main characters are through the farm boys, uh um oh, Wayne and and Derry. Um uh, squ- uh his their uh Wayne's sister I can't remember her name and Squirrely Squirrely Dan. Squirrely Dan. Um who's like a big dude and they all they're kind of like vaguely redneck redneckish there's the hockey players who are very bro like there are the um uh there's the the goths um and i think and what's what's the other group i'm thinking of um anyway there's a couple of minor groups like there's a church group and there's uh uh a uh or there's one guy who's who, who runs the church and there's like the bartender and there's uh a group of of natives from a neighboring town um they all kind of interact and they have their conflicts and it's it's freaking hilarious I uh, I highly recommend going and watching the cold open on YouTube. I'll uh, I'll link it in the description, uh, but it's just it's just so funny. Just like this, this, I don't know. It's it's a very memorable show, and I don't I, I can't really do it justice without, without. You should just go watch that that cold open because so, it's really good. Uh, okay. Uh, you have anything else uh, that you've been that you've been
1: doing this week? God, what else have I been doing this week? Uh, I have been watching. So this is a, this is a a not necessarily a preview, but um, next episode we're doing *Boku no Hero Academia*. So I've been watching *Boku no Hero Academia*. Ba um, ba but dub the dub right? Yeah, I'm watching the dub uh, because this what's on. I have Hulu. It's on okay. Hulu. makes um, sense. Uh, uh, I, I watch have, the I sub
0: because I'm not a dirty guyjin. I mean, I guess I am many... a dirty guyjin. <laughs>
1: I have many thoughts about about uh, BNHA. Yeah, I'm very excited. Well, as I'm a preview
0: for how wrong buddy's going to be, he thinks so, yeah. Bakugo is the best. So Bakugo
1: is the best. See, this is what's interesting. Everybody else I talked to about the show also loves Bakugo. Like, cause a bunch of my a bunch of my friends at work all watch it, and when I told them I was watching the show, they were like, ah, like, you know. And we started talking about it. I was like, yeah, dude, fucking Bakugo is the best. And they were all like, yeah, I know Bakugo. <laughs> like, <laughs> So I was surprised when... I was surprised when you were like, no, Bakugo sucks. Well, I mean... I don't know. We'll, we'll get into this more next week, but...
0: <laughs> like, I like Bakugo as a character, but I think he's designed to be a character that you hate. Right? Like, I don't know. Are, do all your friends watch the dub too?
1: This is crazy to me. This, no, no, no. They all watch the dubs. Um, they also gave me shit for watching the dubs. Um, though I like watching the dubs because Christopher Sabat is not it. Uh, see, but... I... Who is Christopher Sabathley? I think this is because I watched... Dragon Ball Z, and you didn't, and that's like a touchstone of my anime career, and not yours, right? Because Bakugo feels exactly like Vegeta, and Vegeta is my favorite character in DBZ, right? Like, so I understand if somebody is like, "Yeah, Vegeta fucking sucks," or whatever. By the way, Christopher Sabat is the voice actor for Vegeta, so it sounds like Vegeta is giving advice to. It's not quite Vegeta because All Might is different than that, obviously. Oh, but it's just, man. I like you, that you have You have to great.
0: look. You have to watch at least one episode. With, so I with so funny enough I did I don't see I um, don't All get it just sounds d- so wrong in the dub he doesn't <sighs> like he said I don't know I just really love his voice in the sub I
1: I I I think it's good I guess but I don't I don't see what's so transcendental about about his voice but anyway but so this feels to me like Vegeta and it also feels like Matt from Digimon do you ever watch Digimon no okay because like that kind of like best friend rival character. I don't know like I guess I just have a good blueprint for it and so I am partial to it I also think that Bakugo is more illegitimate and interesting than some of these characters tend to be Um, just from the perspective of like a lot of the times when they show up in shows they are kind of ruthlessly punished for their asshole behavior they are typically like they are reckless and irrational and stuff like that and they get beaten by kind of calmer and like cooler heads all the time but Bakugo specifically is a deconstruction of that because yeah he is like he's like angry and emotional but he is just as deadly and strategic as deku is which i love i think that that's i think that that's like really cool and really interesting.
0: yeah no I, I absolutely think that's <clears throat> what part of makes him a good character is that he is he is arrogant but he is in my my mind frustratingly competent right like- yeah yeah no
1: i mean yeah that's funny frustratingly competent he also reminds me i and, and it's not even just anime by the way he also reminds me of this kind of character that pops up in western animation right like He's kind of like Wolverine, you know what I mean? Like um, Superboy in Young Justice, which is my big, like, that's the thing. This show reminds me so much of Young Justice. Um, but Superboy is a lot like that. And Superboy it uh, d- falls into that trap where he does get punished a lot because he is kind of, like, reckless and thinks that he's, and, and, you know, like, reckless in his, like, arrogance and stuff like that. And part of his arc is that expected arc of, well, Superboy is getting, you know, um, is, is learning to think with the head on his shoulders kind of thing. Yeah. and be tactical. Um, but but yeah, I don't know. I like Boku no Hero Academia. I think it's good. I don't think it's as good as Attack on Titan, which is the other like recent anime that I have in my mind to compare it have to. Have you watched uh, seasons
0: two and three of, of, of I that? have not
1: watched seasons two and three. There's only season one, which I thought was amazing. And then I also have heard that it's bad after this. I, I thought they were going for an anti-fascist thing with Attack, with attack on Titan, where the whole the whole time because you find out i can't remember her name but that she's like secretly the girl titan or whatever and she's like the captain of the guard and and i was like oh that's neat this is a fascist conspiracy by the peep by the fascist government right they are creating and letting the titans loose outside of the walls in order to keep the populace cowed right because as long as you can provide an existential threat for your people to be railing against they like literally justify uh genocide in the in the context of the show because they're like we can't support you know like these mouths to feed they had to die and stuff like that and i was like oh that's like really neat but then i talked to a friend of mine who read the manga and he was like no dude that's not they're going for it all yeah um, yeah it's, so i don't know i also don't
0: know if i'd classify it as fast but that's like a definition where i'm not super interested in getting into um uh but yeah like i from what i have read on like the wikis about what happens it's just kind of weird and stupid um yeah. But apparently the anime's pretty decent, right? Like, the, the anime has um, either skimmed around some of these problems or, like, just dealt with them differently. Um, apparently the, sh- the second third seasons of the show are very
1: good. Um, oh, my God. You know what I did watch, actually? Just last night that I want to ask you about. I watched the fucking Callister episode of Black Mirror. Have you seen that? The Star Trek episode of Black Mirror? Um... I think I've
0: I've actually seen that one. Y- yes. I, yeah,
1: because they just won an award of the Emmys, which is why. And I was like bored last night. I was like, what do we want to watch? So I so I watched that episode. Holy fucking shit! Which I'm actually a little disappointed because I think the ending is not great, um, or like just barely misses amazing. Uh, but what did you what did you think? Because you have more of a background with Star Trek than I do. Um, I thought it was. I, I don't remember it super well. So so so
0: pardon me for, uh, forgetting some of some of the details. But I thought it was. All right. Um, I also thought that, like, it, it I, I don't think I know enough Star Trek to, like, to talk about it as kind of, like, I think it's supposed to be, like, a minor deconstruction of that as well. I also get, like, that, I also get that particular show confused with, like, the weird car key commercial around the same time that was also on a spaceship. Um, so I, 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 I don't have a great enough memory of it to really comment on it, on it deeply. Um yeah I think wow
1: really okay fine yeah that's fine. i i thought it was a really great existential like horror piece and i was sad that they kind of copped out at the ending um i was really hoping that they would go for the kind of like harlan ellison you know i have no, no mouth but i'm I must a screen yeah, yeah. version of things because i was just sitting there like oh my god that is like such a brutal existence right like Man, I, I was really into it, but then, you know, I, I, don't wanna, I guess I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't watched the show, but the way the ending broke down, I thought was, uh, it was good, but at the expense of great. There was a great ending staring them in the face. And they didn't
0: yeah, I mean, it. I feel like if they had gone with the great ending, it would have just turned into I Have No Mouth and I'm a Scream. Now, I mean, Now that I'm remembering fair. it, more, right, like, you could have had someone sacrifice themselves, but then it's literally the ending to, to I Have No Mouth and I'm a Scream, um, yeah. with a slightly better ending for everybody else. <clears throat> Um, I don't know, I, I think all things considered, um, I, uh, now, now that we're talking about it, I'm, re- I'm remembering more of it, um, I think it's fine, right, like, um, I don't know, it's, it, it, it plays weirdly with, like, kind of the Star Trek impressions of it, um, because, like, I don't know, I, like, in, in terms of kind of, like, the, your, your, con- is your consciousness you and what does that matter kind of thing? Um mm. I don't know. I have never had a problem with with what's the name of that paradox? Like the uh you know like if if, if you when you 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 know, if you clone yourself and send yourself 10,000 miles away, which one is the real you? I've never really like I've never really been bothered by that like paradox or whatever it is. Um so those those storylines don't really hit me as much. Um with a kind of like this this situation where like um uh where, where like it's it's a it's a personal, like it, it is a personality, which like, you know, based on that kind of view, is functionally you, is, uh, is kind of trapped, trapped to be tortured. I don't know. It's it's, it's weird. Um, but, yeah. But it, it's not particularly Star Trek-y through that lens. I, I don't think.
1: Um, yeah. Although, like, yeah, I was kind of wondering if they were going for some kind of, like, commentary on, like, the saccharine nature of Star Trek, and that there's, like, that it is secretly kind of, like, more sinister, and, like, if you think of these characters, like, they are really enslaved by, like, the world they're in, but I would I would wholeheartedly disagree with any kind of reading along those lines. Yeah, I was, and I was I also gonna typically
0: say, <clears throat> my Star Trek experience is also Deep
1: Space Nine, which is that take on, on yeah, Star yeah. Trek. yeah. Um, and I am also not a huge fan of Black Mirror in general, because, like, I find that a lot of it is just technology bad. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so, because I watched, like, I watched only watch a bunch of episodes in the first two seasons. Like, I can understand the appeal of it um, and everything, but I don't know. Uh,
0: there, there's like, been a couple of good, like, parodies I've seen. It's like... It's like some somebody in 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 uh, in in England sitting like Oh, like oi what if your mom was a robot, and that's like all of Black Mirror or like some some dude standing on a street corner with a, with a with a post report that says technology on it and he just runs up to some pedestrian and screams technology at them and they jump backwards like Black Mirror, I think that's like a, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny, <laughs> I think that uh, can be a very apt description. I think I think some of them are are clever. Right, like, I really enjoyed the, um, uh, the, the, the seed episode, where he's got, like, the perfect, perfect memory thing, um, like, I, I, I thought that that was, that's, like, in the first season, I think that that's, um, I think that's, like, an interesting story to explore, um, but I, I think largely that some of the later stuff hasn't delivered as well on it, um, I don't know, but it's also meant to be, like, as much as it is kind of, like, you know, technology, but it is supposed to be a horror series, and I don't, or like a relatively like kind of like you know, Twilight Zone type series. So I don't, I don't fault it for that, because I think you can. not th- There are other stories that are kind of aspirational future tech stories, um, and so I don't fault it for taking kind of like the this is the dark side of that kind of approach. Even though I, I, do kind of get tired of it if I binge watch it. Like, I think that's the secret. You can't, you can't binge watch it because otherwise you do kind of get beaten over the head with like technology, the technology bad thing.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, but uh.
1: But anyway, we ran a little bit over, yeah, I guess. Yeah,
0: whatever. Um, <laughs> um, if you'd like to email us and tell us if you hate us running over, or talk to us about getting into RPGs or any other things we talked about in this podcast, you can email us at um at gmail.com or uh, podcast at somedervsplaygames com. You can uh, what else? You can follow us on Twitch. Hopefully, we'll ever get around to playing. Uh, hell's rebels and finishing that off we're gonna try and do that on a weekend at some point right
1: yeah yeah the 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 current plan is to get a bigger mega session um put together uh for a you know weekend. someday yeah a weekend in the next couple of weeks so that we can clear we can clear it out and put a put a capstone on the campaign
0: um uh you can also follow us on uh twitter you can rate us and review us on itunes and google play music Um, I think that's everything I had, buddy. Do you have anything else you wanted to promote? I have nothing else that I'm looking to promote in that case until next time, dear listeners, until
1: next time, loyal listeners.